The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 92 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I have been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show, and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, we had Managing Director of the Information Security Forum, the ISF, Steve Durbin, on the show last week with George and I. He crushed it. We'll get Steve to join us on a panel in the future for sure. It was great having his perspective on how ISF brings people together to solve problems. We just love solving problems here at TF7. He focused on trust in the cybersecurity information sharing space, training, cyber resilience, risk, impacts of a data breach, cyber in the C-suite, and much, much more. So there's something for everyone on episode 91. If you missed last week's episode, don't sweat it. Just go to your favorite playback medium, and you can catch it anytime right at the top of your TF7 radio episode library. That's cybersecurity and C-suite with Managing Director of the Information Security Forum, Steve Durbin, on last week's episode. That's episode 91 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to the episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on Playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the Episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you'll find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is a most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news on Task Force 7 Radio, and you can even write comments on the different news articles and topics that we're all talking about here, which is a lot of fun. We're on at least 11 different playback mediums now. We made it easy for you to find, us all, find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage and you'll see the entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 radio site, which is the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. This way you'll get all the TF7 radio updates right from the site. And as the site gets more robust, you'll get notified about TF7 extras, encore episodes, and you'll get to uh, Task Force 7 news and events and information on upcoming TF7 network too. So check us out, folks, at tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. 
And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we have another informative show for you this week, Tier 1 Cybersecurity Professional. We have John Frazzini, the President and CEO of SSIC, back on the show with us this evening to talk about cyber risk. Folks, if you're not paying attention to this topic right now, get your head out of the sand because it's big. There's a lot happening in this space right now, and we're excited to have John on the show coming off the heels of a huge announcement that I think is flying under the radar, but is going to be a huge disruptor, in my opinion, uh, in the cybersecurity and the cyber risk space. John brings more than 20 years' experience as a cybersecurity innovator to his role as, as president and CEO of SSIC, dynamic technology entrepreneur and executive that successfully drives new technology and advanced services concepts into cyber risk and security markets. John combines his rich and varied security experience, including cybercrime investigations, cyber threat intelligence, artificial intelligence-based security applications, cyber attack simulation technology, with his entrepreneurial drive to bring forward new concept to address today's ever-changing cyber challenges. It's my pleasure to welcome back my friend, President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. John, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, brother. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here. Hey, listen, so we've had, you know, you've been on the show before, crushed it. We've had your chief analytics officer, Bob Vessio, on talking about cyber risk and cyber modeling. You guys have been at the forefront of innovation in this space for quite some time. You know, what stands out to you as the most significant change you're seeing? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Andy. I, I, you know, I think if I had to look at it from a macro perspective, it's really the concepts of how uh, cybersecurity effectiveness um, is being measured, how organizations over time keep talking about how do you bring ROI to cybersecurity. We've been talking about that in this industry for ever since I've been in it, you know, approximately 20 years. Yeah. In, in other words, in other words, how do you how do you achieve an effective security program that that maps to financial um, uh, relevance, right? So we all know that cybersecurity ROI has been relatively elusive. And so um, I think it's one of the biggest changes that I'm seeing uh, and kind of a transformation that's taking place is how the insurance industry is starting to construct the modeling that can make sense of the cybersecurity environment in financial terms in order to uh, help organizations understand how they could be financially impacted with various cyber incidents. So the, the most significant thing that I see that's happening, and this is just in the last few years, is how the insurance industry is starting to inform the financial analysis that could lead to effective cybersecurity decision making. Yeah, it's a huge topic, right? I mean, being able to articulate the work that you're doing, why you want to do it, and how it's going to impact the business, right? We always say that in cybersecurity, right? Oh, we want to talk about making sure we're aligned to the business, we're going to protect the business, but we don't speak in business terms, right? Which is really ROI, which is really dollars and cents, right? So I, I love that you guys are tackling this. Um, and um, look, I mean, I think I would love to get your take here on, you know, with the myriad cybersecurity threats that exist today, you know, just how are businesses managing cyber risk in the future? You think how that, how's that going to happen? Yeah. So, so I think the future, you know, very simply is, is going to be centered around financial analysis. It'll be forming an expected loss 
understanding from a financial perspective as to how various uh, cyber risk issues affect your business, right? So over the course of the last 20 years, the, the industry, the cybersecurity industry has been, has been created and, and exists today. And it's almost been an arms race where technology has been stacked on top of technology and it's and it goes through various what I call hype cycles, right? So it's as the problem became prominent, as digitization became the reality of 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 business today, um, the challenges were always: what do we do about the risk? What do we do about the security threats that exist? And so what you saw is a lot of um, blocking and tackling, a lot of technology development that was leading the business around, right? In in order to stop you know, bad things from happening, you need to deploy, you know, uh, better technology. But there was never really a correlation on as to whether or not that better security technology was actually relevant to the business, other than you're just trying to put band-aids on top of problems that digitization brought forward. And so I think the future state, like in all other areas of risk management, the ability to um, deconstruct how technical bad things happen from a security perspective inform the expected loss or the financial impact of an organization is the future. It, like in, in the not too distant future, um, it will, I think it'll be thought of as unheard of that organizations are not managing cyber risk from a financial analytics perspective. That that will be driving the intersection between the technical and the business. And, and I think that's what the, where the future resides. Yeah, I, I agree, John. So, so if you could, like, you know, from your view, what do you, what's some of the advice you could give, um, you know, cybersecurity executives out there to start to prepare for this shift? Well, I think the first thing is, I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of executives understand that they need to find a way to link what they're doing technically from a security strategy perspective uh, to the business. So I, th I think that concept is, is understood. And I think there's, there's really two schools of thought that I, I see in the executive ranks within cybersecurity, the, the CISO position. And it's, the, it's what I call the lowercase CISOs, the, the old school technical thinking, blocking and tackling, legacy lead with technical solution thinking security programs, and then the capital C ISOs, right? The executive thinking CISOs who understand that they have to find a way to articulate what they're doing in a way that makes sense to the business and across the business from legal to the CFO, all the way to the boards of directors. And there's, there's a lot of studies and surveys today that point to, for example, board members um, I think the most recent survey from the National Association of Corporate Directors, an organization that is the largest um, professional organizations for members of boards of directors, I think it was something in the area of a question around, do you get value from the cybersecurity conversation in the boardroom? And I think the percentages was like 17%, right? And what that says to me is, you know, there's still too much of that lowercase CISO thinking, trying to bring forward technical metrics to try to communicate with non-security personnel within an organization and not enough capital C 
um, ISO thinking. So, so the transformation that I see happening is a shift to, a, to real executive thinking security management. And the, and, and the point in answer, answering your question, I would say, um, as of within just the last few years, the ability to accomplish this is now available. Like I, I didn't see, it was very difficult over the years to, to link security to the business for a lot of reasons that people that are listening understand, right? And it was, it was elusive. And so I think that shifting your mindset and understanding that the tools exist today, they are, they are emerging, but they do exist, that can guide that executive security thinking is, is where I would point people to. So that's that's what I see as the opportunity to uh, of to evolve from technical thinking to strategic business thinking in the area of security. Yeah, it's it's great advice, right? And it doesn't just help you know frame your board deck, right? It's going to help frame your conversation top down and really start to change the you know how cyber practitioners view their role going forward, not just from a tactical, but to a strategic, to a, you know, to a business executive mindset. So I love it. So, okay, folks, we have to transition into a commercial break here. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 on your socials, favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. And you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. We're excited about it. Folks, stay tuned over the next several months for information about this much-needed and awaited network. We're going to solve some problems together, we promise. Task Force 7 Radio, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll get back to our special guests. So don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. 
Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at Sock Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snort detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from Sock Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three-quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.sockprime.com with promo code RADIO2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com. Promo code RADIO2019. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. So, John, look, there's tons of different models. Um, Various models and approaches have been developed to seek and understand cyber risk and financial terms. Now, how do you see these collective efforts, and where do you see this all going? Yeah, there's been a lot of work that's been put into – trying to formulate how to convert, you know, the technical information that's collected through a security uh, program and have it make sense, right, from, a, from an economic perspective. And so there's, there's it's, 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 not a, it's not necessarily a new thing where that has that uh, been thought about. I think what's changing and where the future is going is, is through the insurance industry, right? So, you know, the businesses rely on, um, and we as, we as just members of society rely on insurance to, to formulate underwriting standards. Uh, that there, that's the backdrop of what we do every day, just as members of our community, right? You buy car insurance, you buy home insurance. Uh, both of those industries have been stabilized through the insurance products that have that have been built around them, right? So cars are safer today because of insurance underwriting, the ability for insurers to understand financial impact of auto accidents, right? Informs better safety. 
um, insurance underwriting that understands expected loss related to damages within your house, right, leads to safer living, right, safer housing, safer building. Uh, if you extrapolate that out into the business community, right, it helps with um, building big skyscrapers, right? There's a lot of technical things that can happen that you can deploy to build a car, a house, or a big skyscraper. So you can engineer a lot of things, but if you don't filter it through how bad things can happen from a financial perspective, um, then it's hard to understand how, how to best move forward. So I think the future in modeling and the future of how the cybersecurity in issue is going to stabilize within business, within the business community, is by having the underwriting standards that come through uh, provide that directional guidance to companies to, to find ways to reduce, suppress, or transfer financial exposure related to cyber incidents. So if you think about where the future goes from a modeling perspective, modeling in a vacuum doesn't really help anybody. But modeling related to an insurance application does because the, the insurance industry has everything to lose. They're the right. ones that are placing the real bets, which is our, they're accepting the risk onto their books. And so I think the future in modeling is going to come through the insurance industry like you see in all other aspects of how risk is managed in our personal lives as well as our business lives. Yeah, I can see it, man. I mean, I remember walking in when I was in insurance, you know, and we were walking in and uh, having underwriters come to me and go, hey, man, I, I need to place a, a $10 million bet on this on this meeting, right? Because there just wasn't enough modeling in cyber. Right? They've got, you know, 100-year flood, you know, data, hurricane data, natural disaster data. But when it comes to cyber and the risk landscape changes, you know, you know there's new tools every day, right? So how do you model that out? So are you telling me that it's now possible to fully understand the financial impacts of cyber events or incidents before they even happen? Yeah, that's been the big breakthrough, right? So you're seeing that coming through the insurance industry. You're starting to see the insurance industry has, is starting to figure it out. They have been able to understand now how cyber incidents direct in the technical environments that produce the impact from a technical perspective correlates to the financial exposure. So the insurance industry um, has been evolving at very rapid pace. And what they're doing in the background, which I think is very informative to security executives, is they're starting to figure out very succinctly how, technically, how technical bad things happen within an organization and what the corresponding financial exposure would look like should, should bad things happen. So they are building the underwriting mechanisms. They are building the expected financial loss analysis that's guiding the productization of cyber insurance. And I think that's going to have a significant impact on the cybersecurity industry. And it's going to bring a lot more clarity and confidence with business executives to operate in, in today's digital world, because right now, uncertainty is an impediment to moving business forward. Um, the insurance industry, as it builds stability in the cyber risk domain, is going to unlock opportunities, and the businesses that do it right and do it smart are going to have an advantage. So, you know, when you underwrite insurance, right, a lot of the times it's subjective, 
And, you know, you kind of, even when you're doing third-party risk and vendor management, right, you're, you're having to rely a lot of times on what they tell you, right? Where do you see the future of uh, transitioning from subjective to objective data that get really more quantifiable, valid, validated data uh, into this process? Yeah, that, that, that's happening right now. I agree with you 100%. Historically, uh, cybersecurity decision-making was being made based on subjective subject matter experts, quote-unquote experts, offering their technical opinions as to what a business should do. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good, sometimes we have seen in a very irrelevant manner. Like we've seen clients who are deploying technology in an extensive way directed towards areas where they do not, they should not be expecting significant technical or financial harm. So you scratch your head and say, why are they doing what they're doing? Well, because somebody subjectively thought it was the best way to move forward. So what you're seeing happening in the insurance industry is exactly what you're alluding to. They're, the insurance industry is not looking to make subjective bets. The insurance industry does not exist to, to, to apply guesswork, which a lot of cyber modeling has been to date. Just you know, put your finger in the air and just guess. The insurance industry um, deals with very significant things like actuarial science, where they actually um, are regulated to model objective information and use modeling that takes into account an, a, an objective approach. And so you can't just put your finger in the air and then just place an insurance bet. There's regulatory con, um, uh, impediments to do that. But more importantly, insurance companies aren't going to make huge bets if they don't understand what the risk is that they're, they're underwriting. And so what you're seeing is a significant shift from the subjective to the objective. And there's, there's various pockets of excellence that are taking place in the marketplace today where you're seeing the convergence of the, the objective data that exists to the objective modeling that's available in order to unlock capacity in the insurance markets. And so as that happens, that's also going to have an associated effect in how cybersecurity strategy is implemented from my perspective. So look, I mean, many people think in the cybersecurity industry that, you know, risk transfer or cyber insurance, right. Is going to, you know, I think this was the thinking years ago, right. It, it would re could replace the CISO, right. Or, uh, you know, if I, if I share too much, you know, that creates a problem for my budgetary ask, you know, um, you know, kind of, but, but is the market, the market has changed, right? I think, I think CISOs view risk transfer differently today than maybe five, you know, six, seven years ago, right? What's your take on kind of where that shift has happened as you're having these C-level conversations? I hear from business leaders all the time and I, there is a school of thought within the security community that, that it's possible that the whole CISO function will just be made obsolete into the future. There, there is no question that there is a school of thought that that is a possibility. As cyber risk is absorbed into the business like all other business risks, for example, you don't have a chief supply chain officer, right? You, you don't have other heads of areas of risk. There's usually a chief risk officer who oversees all areas of risk within the business. And so I think what I have seen in the cyber security executive management ranks is also two schools of thought. One is I'll keep my head in the sand. I'll continue to go to my business and ask, ask for more budget 
because I want to do things technically that I think are best because I'm the expert, right? And, I'm, and I want my budget to increase every year. And I think, I think if you put your head in the stand and you continuously pursue that strategy over time, you're, you're going to get burned because eventually the conversations that are taking place outside of your presence is likely, you know, we don't really want to spend any more money on security, right? Security is a cost to our business. And why do we have to keep spending so much money? Organizations do it today because of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt of not doing it. But I think as that shifts and changes, the smart security executive will get on board with cyber risk management of the future, which is understanding how to intersect your cybersecurity strategy with, with the, financial, fi, the financial metrics that could lead to better decision-making. If, if, if a CISO does that, I think that's where the future will be most healthy from a professional perspective. I think over time, as that shift is taking place and as that becomes more prominent in the industry, um, some of these head in the sand, let, let me keep my information away from my business to protect my budget thinking CISOs will be a relic of the past. So many in the industry point to the cyber insurance market being small. Right, and doesn't address the total size of all the risk out there. Right? Do, do, is it true in your view that cyber insurance market's too small to make a difference? Oh yeah, that's a great question. Absolutely. Um, so there's a today view and then there's a tomorrow view. The today view is you're correct. The cyber insurance marketplace today doesn't have enough capacity to absorb the financial loss associated with 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 what could take place related to cyber incidents around the world, right? So, so the cyber insurance industry is not making a dent just yet. But I, well, what I will tell you is the insurance industry sees this as a once in a hundred year opportunity for themselves to grow into a new insurance product line. Doesn't come very often in insurance, right? There's only yeah. so many times that you can invent home insurance or you can invent auto insurance, right? So the insurance industry is old, it's been around forever. It is currently growing at some estimates as at three to five times the broader insurance market. So the cyber opportunity for insurers is from their perspective, explosive. For people listening, you can just Google, Google some of the reports that are being written within the insurance industry and you can see how they're thinking about this explosive opportunity. They're calling it a once in a hundred year opportunity. So it is true that today the cyber insurance industry is not equipped to absorb um, the, the totality of financial exposure that exists in the marketplace. There's no doubt it's, it's in its infancy. However, the tomorrow view is when the insurance industry starts getting it right, when they start building these underwriting metrics in order to increase capacity, you're going to start seeing an explosion of availability of cyber insurance coverage that didn't exist before. And that is going to be the inflection point of change, I believe. I'll give you one example. I know a major insurance company whose global head of cyber insurance told me just a few months ago that typically they would not insure any particular policy in any company, regardless of size, shape, or what have you for more than $10 million for cyber. Now, if you're a Fortune 100 company, 
buying $10 million of cyber insurance is a rounding error to you. It doesn't, if you're Bank of America, it doesn't matter to even have the insurance, right? I was just told that they are now placing up to $70 million of coverage, right? So it's going from, and this is a direct result of more precise and capable underwriting metrics. And so you're, we're watching just within the last year, the, the ignition point of change where you're going to go from offering 10 to 70 million to let's say $100 million. It's inconceivable today to think that an insurance carrier will take on a billion dollars of cyber exposure in the marketplace. It's inconceivable today. But as the underwriting metrics become more prominent and more deployed, I think you're gonna see an explosion in how the cyber insurance marketplace can start absorbing more capacity and then that will have an, a natural pull through effect as to how companies manage, manage cyber risk. Yeah, I mean, look, the topic is at the forefront of you know, every, every media cycle, right? <laughs> cyber is at the forefront. All right, you can't you can't turn around without seeing another data breach, another major vulnerability. And in the insurance industry, you know, there's that you know model of well, if I you know offset my risk and spread my risk out because I've got you know bets in each sector, each region, but cyber cuts across all. Right, you take one global ransomware attack, and that changes the systemic risk of how you underwrite and and, and um, potential losses for an insurance company. Right, so the model is different, and there's you know, I'd love to get your take on, you know, what are the implications of that, you know, having now, you know, been in both cyber and, and, and in insurance for yourself, um, you know, around how are underwriters able to keep up with that and understand that landscape, right? You have insurance underwriters who are now having to be cyber familiar, right? And, and keep up with the, the myriad threats and changes on a cycle that's so much faster than what they're used to. No, that's that. This is very true. There's, there's no question that this has resulted in change within the insurance industry. In order to keep up with cyber, the insurance companies are absolutely having to change the way that they do business. Um, and but the point is, they are starting to form this base understanding of of how to underwrite the cyber exposure, and they are building them the ability to do so. Right, and so that, as that capability matures. You know, the insurance companies, I've been in meetings with, with major cyber insurance executives who, who talk about how to prioritize an insurance. Like, for example, as we know, as in our communities, you know, not everybody is a good in, insurance bet for auto insurance. We all pay different rates. There's a lot of reasons why we pay different rates. Some people are, are inherently not insurable. Because, you know, the financial, the, the companies don't want to take on the worst drivers. You have three DUIs or you've been in seven accidents. You know, it's likely it's going to be very hard for you to get auto insurance, right? What's happening in the cyber insurance market is the insurance companies are starting to form an understanding of who, where the safe risk is and where the most risky risk is, right? So if you're a company who looks to be a high risk for cyber threats because you don't have your security strategy mapped to your financial um, impact if you're not able to um, operate your business in a, in a safe um, manner based on how they understand it, you may not be able to transfer your risk and, and, and the companies that do it well will be able to transfer the most 
to most risk off their books into an insurance company, giving them a significant competitive advantage into the future. So yeah, it's true to your question that the insurance companies have to change the way that they're doing what they're doing to keep pace with how, how the cyber um, security industry moves much quicker than, for example, um, the auto industry moves. But having said that, they're starting to figure out, which is, figure it out, which is my point. And that's going to have a significant impact in terms, of, not just in terms of who's a safe insurance bet, but who's the most competitive businesses that can thrive into the future. So, John, before we go, before we close the segment out, I got to ask you another question. So, what what can information security executives do to make them a better insured risk? Right, like when they're walking into that meeting with the with the broker, you know, the underwriter. You know, what can they do differently today, you know, knowing that this is happening to make themselves, you know, come out with better terms? Yeah, well, I think what's really interesting about today's environment is when I talk to most CISOs, right, um, they, they may not even know who their insurance brokers are. They may not even know how their company has taken out insurance policies for cyber risk. They, they may have participated in, in some process along the way, but they're really not in tune with understanding how their business is seeking to transfer risk. And these functions exist in businesses already, right? Risk transfer is not a new concept. The concept of transferring cyber risk is a new concept. And so what I would encourage anybody who's currently working in an executive leadership position in security to do is, is if you don't know who your insurance broker is and you don't understand how your company is seeking to transfer cyber risk associated with your what you do, managing a security program, then that's, that's the best first start. Because if you don't understand how that's happening, it's going to be very difficult for you to contribute to that conversation. So what I would suggest, and, and it's not perfect either, right? Not all insurance brokers are the same. Not all programs within companies are the same, but they're, they're in the future, it will be an absolute norm for security executives to have a full understanding of how their security programs um, impact risk transfer strategy within their companies. And if you don't have your fingers on that right now, it's probably an area you might want to spend some professional development around because that's where it's all going. So, so call your treasurer and get on the phone quick. All right, John, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, president and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization 
organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, President and CEO of SSIC, John Frazzini. John, SSIC has been flying under the radar, man. I've known you for a really long time. You've been a serial entrepreneur. You've had a lot of success, a lot of good pops. But look, there's some major news in the cyber insurance space, and SSIC is right in the middle. You know, can you fill the audience in on what's going on right now? Uh, yeah, this week, um, in fact, I think today, um, there's going to be an announcement where Marsh McLennan, who is the world's largest uh, cyber insurance broker. Uh, they've, got, they've got a global reach. They're the largest insurance broker. Um, has signed a deal to license our ex-analytics cyber risk analytics application. And so uh, Marsh uh, will be using the ex-analytics application to form the basis of their cyber insurance brokering operations on a worldwide basis. And so uh, the vantage point that I have related to what's taking place in the insurance industry, as as you've mentioned, flying under the radar, is I'm I'm a you know as as you know Andy I'm a I'm a former federal law enforcement guy who who you know came out of that world into the cybersecurity industry, but I've been flying underneath the radar um, because I saw several years ago the opportunity to see what's taking place in the insurance industry, and so you know today you know Mark's kind of a a transition point where the industry in a, in a substantial uh, manner, the, the, the cyber insurance industry is moving in a direction where this objective modeling that's bringing the intersection of cybersecurity strategy with risk transfer related to cyber risk is, is, is taking shape just as we speak. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's fantastic. I mean, congrats. I mean, when I, when I think about that, I mean, man, 
what is that, more than half the underwriting in the world in cyber insurance are going to use X analytics. I mean, it's got to be at least half the market. Um, you know, that that's a big, big deal. And I think, you know, for those who are listening, right, you know, it, pay attention, right? Because we're talking about a model and Bob has been on the show, right? Vessio has been on the show talking about how, you know, he predicted Equifax, right? And, and, and the breach, you know, numbers and um, how the model has been, uh, is validated every month for um, regulatory scrutiny and accuracy, right? So, I mean, now, if, you know, if you're building a security program, right, starting to think about how to leverage this type of modeling, you know, is really, really important because your CFO, your audit committee, your treasurer, right, this is the model that they're going to have to, they're going to have to be familiar with, right? I mean, that's kind of how I see it. What do you see? Well, yeah, I mean, I think what, what I've been told is, you know, related to the most recent announcement with Marsh, with Marsh uh, today, um, related to the work that we're already doing, as you mentioned, underneath the radar within the insur- cyber insurance markets, um, I've been told approximately 70, 70% of all cyber risk transfer decision making will f- flow through the modeling that we, that we invented here at SSIC. As you mentioned, our, our, the inventor of that modeling, Bob Vessio, who's our chief analytics officer, he's been a guest on your show, uh, but he, he's been um, underneath the hood within the insurance industry. And the, the result, as we come up for air after a, a, a two or three years worth of effort, we find ourselves um, having effectively created a de facto standard for how the insurance industry is, is forming a financial understanding of cyber exposure. So um, the agreements that we have with big cyber insurance carriers uh, and now with the, with the world's largest insurance broker, um, um, we think that standardization is being adopted within the insurance industry and we're, we're pretty excited to be uh, uh, the, the inventors behind that change. Man, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic stuff. So in terms of you know, the early stages of cyber risk transformation, you're obviously, you know, at the beginning of it, right? Kind of how do you see this playing out in, in varying phases? Well, like I've mentioned throughout the, throughout the show here is, uh, you know, as the insurance industry starts to create the standardization as to how uh, cyber risk is understood and how the financial modeling will, will grow from there, um, I see it intersecting with enterprise cybersecurity planning, right? So the future is, is resides within the intersection of cybersecurity planning and risk transfer analysis. And I think that's where the future resides. Now, there is something that's interesting that's happening within the cybersecurity domain too that's quite um, impressive, right? There's a, there's a company that was just acquired by FireEye named Veridin. And what Veridin does, just a brilliant founder and inventor over there related to FireEye's most recent acquisition, what, what that capability is all about is helping organizations understand the cumulative effectiveness of their cybersecurity topology, right? So I, I think as you move beyond just the financial modeling and you move beyond the risk transfer conversation, I believe there's innovation taking place within the enterprise as well as it relates to cybersecurity. And I think it also is centered around measuring effectiveness, right? It, it, it's no longer about placing technology stacks on top of technology stacks just for the sake of doing it. 
it's about understanding the cumulative effectiveness. And so you just saw just a few weeks ago um, some changes in the cybersecurity industry itself, which is leading in into kind of, I think, a combustible future, which is how that effectiveness analysis from a cybersecurity planning perspective will intersect and also contribute to the risk transfer discussion that we've been having today. How do you see that data making its way into the underwriting process? Right, you've got basically you know the control effectiveness data or security effectiveness data that say a Veridin or any other cyber attack simulation platform would would give you, but you know companies could be resistant to wanting their insurance carrier having that um, intimate insight. Right, how, how do you see that how that that gap being bridged over the, over the you know the short term here? Yeah, first of all, you know the data can be anonymized, right? So there are strategies that are being deployed to incorporate actual enterprise security information into underwriting um, risk transfer analysis, right? That's taking place right now. Um, I do think that there's going to be a challenge to get companies to understand that the more they share, the better it will be for them. And I think the insurance industry has been doing a good job to articulate that, you know, by providing more information, it's not going to be punitive. It's only going to be helpful. I've actually watched that happen. And so what, the, what companies really want to do, and I've, I've been in communication with, with Fortune 50 companies who are, articulate that they're not able to transfer enough risk, cyber risk, off their books into an insurance policies. And the only way they're going to be able to achieve those business objectives is if they start sharing more information related to what they're what they're doing from a security perspective, so that that's starting to happen. So there are there is a business driver behind why you would want to share that information, and most importantly, when you share that information, it can then be benchmarked. You have to be pretty confident in what you're doing, but if you can show over time that you're making improvements, that's going to give you the ability to potentially buy. Um, insurance capacity at a higher amount. So if, like I said before, if you were only able to buy $10 million worth of coverage, but your board wants $100 million, the only way to get there is through more rigorous underwriting. And so, um, so there is going to be some kind of breakage along the way, but I think the smart organizations are going to look at the business value of transferring risk, and I think that's going to drive just decision-making over time. So you mentioned something really interesting that I think we we saw kind of with PCI compliance, right? And I know this isn't a compliance conversation, but where data breaches were happening at such an alarming rate around the PCI space years ago, and companies were hesitant to want to reach out to you know the, the, the card brands, right, and say, hey, you know, because they were afraid they're going to be fined, right? Um, and the card brands had to take that position of hey, look, we're managing risk with you, right? We're on the same side of the table and create a reputation and a brand for themselves around being a trusted partner, right? And being your risk mitigation partner and not looked at as a compliance, you know, um, stick, right? Um, that we're just going to come find you, right? And I think that's an important part of this transformation that that's going to have to happen. So I think, how do you see that playing out? I mean, obviously the relationship with Marsh is, I think, an indication of where that's going. Um, but I'd be interested to get your take on, you know, how fast can the insurance industry put itself on the same side of the risk table um, and convince companies that that's the case? 
Yeah, that that is that is going to be a significant. That's going to be probably the significant challenge for the for the insurance industry to do exactly what you just described. Uh, I also think your your analogy is spot on, right? What what happened in the the PCI world is a trusted ecosystem was developed, right? And that trusted ecosystem was was built to try to bring forward a shared um, association to benefit everybody who participates, right? It wasn't set up necessarily to be punitive, right? It wasn't to be play gotcha or, uh, or to attack people that are having problems. It was designed to be collaborative. And, and so I think your analogy is correct. I, I think that is exactly what needs to happen. I think your analogy is right. And to the extent that the insurance industry can find its way in, in establishing itself as that trusted partner in the risk management industry, that, that is where the most success is going to be found. It won't be if, if organizations like you described earlier um, are going to be afraid to share information because they think it might be bad for them. That's not going to be good for the organization itself, and it's not going to be good for the insurance carriers. So to the extent that, that, that like PCI, that shared ecosystem, trusted ecosystem can be built, which today it's, it, it doesn't, it, it is not, in my opinion, that intersection of industry has not taken place just yet. It's, it's at its infancy, but to the extent that that trusted um, relationship between the two industries can, can take place, that is going to be the ultimate deciding factor, I think, in terms of how the insurance industry can achieve growth and organizations can become more resilient in terms of how they're seeking to, to operate and transfer risk. Yeah, no, it's uh, so. How how do you see that taking place? Like, do you do you see that becoming an industry group? Do you think that's the board of directors pushing down? Uh, is that um, large, you know, consulting firms kind of bridging that gap between um, companies and um, the insurance broker or the underwriter? Like, where do you who do you think is the best suited to help with that transformation? Yeah, it's disjointed right now. Um, there's no clear path that I see currently. Um, but I do see some things that are very um, um, encouraging. Like, for example, you, you take a look at what the National Association of Corporate Directors is doing, in particular in response to last year's SEC guidance, which, which addresses this issue head on. Now, this doesn't have much to do with insurance, but it has to do with regulatory guidance. It has to do with obligations companies have within their financial statements to report on you know, risks to their business, it, there's now guidance that says cyber risk needs to be included. And that change just occurred last, that guidance just came out last year. So you're seeing this interesting top-down uh, inertia, if you will, take place where um, members of boards of directors through financial statement um, responsibilities, uh, disclosure responsibilities, are now having to consider the things that we're talking about, right? Um, that I think is a significant driver into the future. There, there are some bright spots there. Um, that's, that's also going to be producing opportunities to be more holistic or, or to harmonize, uh, what you're doing in cyber risk across your enterprise. Because if you have regulatory requirements to disclose, you better know what you're doing. So I see, I see more and more involvement from the top down from the board level down, as opposed to what has historically taken place, where boards are waiting for their experts to tell them what they think. 
And I think there's a significant shift there that's going to that's going to that's going to be relevant. And there's some other things that are out there as well. But but I think you're asking a great question. It's like, how is this going to unfold over time? Um, I'm not certain that there's a clear path that just yet that's been established. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Maybe we'll have a separate panel, uh, bring you on and some, some other folks to kind of see if we can solve this here right on TF7 Radio. But uh, John, John, again, thanks for coming on, brother. You got it, Andy. Nice talking to you. All right. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 